following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Thank you. So first of all, um, those of you who, you, only you were at the conference. You weren't there. With some good food. Yeah. And good, good discussion. It was good. So the, nice. I, um, a rabbi, doctor who is here, Dr. Steinberg, an amazing man. I had, first of all, I'd like to thank Ron for um, making it happen. But uh, I spent a lot of time with him. He was here all week, actually. So I learned a lot um, in many areas. Um, one of the things is he gave a class on Friday. I didn't give a class for rabbis only. On, on a new in the colo. And he spoke about this amazing topic that he's dealing with. A new... Um, relatively new technology, not technology, but a new discovery and the application of that halachically. So I wanted to, I'm just basically going to repeat his class, um, but it's just amazing stuff. And he's actually in the middle of it, not finished. He hasn't come to a decision with, he's working with various halachic decisors in Israel um, to apply this halachically. Um, very practical, as you'll see. Um, but he had, there's no decision hasn't made yet. So it's just really discussing the, explaining the issue and what the halachic ramifications are and the halachic issues involved. And then we'll, I guess when he comes up with an answer, we'll discuss the answer. But but basically the, the there is a professor in um, Haifa whose name is Professor Soretsky, an Orthodox uh, professor, I think he's in the Technion, and he has come up with recently, he has done studies and discovered a a um, female Jewish marker in the mitochondria, mitochondrial DNA. Hello, Jewish welcome, female. welcome. Oh, wow. It's awesome. Yeah. Surprise, you can't just surprise like that. <laughs> you, have, you have weak hearts here. He can help you with I your heart. Doctor, they're all over the place. <laughs> this is true. Good to see you. Welcome, you get your welcome. bagel? No, but I had breakfast before. <laughs> Thank you. Another breakfast is never hurt anyone, never killed anyone. So anyway, so he, so this professor has um, done studies over the last, you know, two three years, and has come of uh, thousands of women, quote unquote Jewish women, and he has discovered a female mitochondrial, uh, female DNA marker in the mitochondria, mm-hmm. which which um, I was just speaking to. Jeff. Jeff. Jeff what? Actor. Actor. Um, who, who knows a lot in this field. And he, he also explained to me that there is no um, mitochondria DNA is only transferred from female to female. Right. There is no male. Um, no mitochondria in sperm. Correct. Yes. There is mitochondria, just it's not transferred to the. It's not the, in sperm. Really? There is no other way. Instead of what there is mitochondria, just not, there's nothing given over that, from the mitochondria. It has, no, it has to have mitochondria because the, the nucleus needs energy, gets the energy from mitochondria. Any cell needs mitochondria, I thought. Mm. It's got some stuff stored in the, yeah. in the uh, part that doesn't go into the egg, the uh, collar. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's not the way I Sperm's kind of a short-lived knowledge. thing. Okay. They don't have enough energy to last very long. Okay, so... so 
the question. So then, so this, the, so this professor has. We're saying it's uniquely Jewish. That's what they're saying. Uniquely Jewish, yes. So we'll, we'll discuss the exact means. facts. It's, it's mutations that are found only in Jewish women. Are they there are many of them. All Jewish women? This is in the mitochondria. What? They found in all Jewish women? Oh, so that's that's the issue. So that's the question. So now the, the I'll just let me read you a little what he said. So it's specific changes in the mitochondria, um, which is less than one percent of the DNA, DNA, the total DNA of the of the cell. Um, and he said, just as an aside, he said today we know there are many devastating diseases that come from abnormal mitochondria, and there's technology today that they can fix those diseases by. Um, this is side class, which we'll have to discuss at a different time, just an amazing halachic issue also, which is today they, because they have discovered that there are many diseases carried by mitochondria, so they can remove the, they can take a cell from a woman, or from a man for that matter, but um, in this case from a woman, and remove the mitochondria, leave the nucleus from the original mother, and then have donor mitochondria put it back into that very same cell. And then use that cell for IVF, that those eggs for IVF. So they're taking eggs from a woman, removing the mitochondria, which has potential diseases that they're aware of, from this woman's uh, cells, and her egg her cells, egg. and then take someone a donor mitochondria, put it back in, which is healthy mitochondria, and then implant this egg into a surrogate mother. So now you have a question of who the mother is. You have three, potentially three mothers here, because you have the surrogate, you have the woman who's providing the nucleus, and then you have the woman who's providing the mitochondria. mitochondria. So, uh, two so Jews, three opinions, right? Right, so imagine having three Jewish mothers, poor child, one one child, three Jewish mothers. So so that's a separate class, not for, that's a, just a parenthetical issue that coming up with this new technology of mitochondria. Which has to be dealt with, um, which which wasn't dealt with henceforth. Um, so that's that's different question here in this particular study. Uh, Professor Soretsky, if I'm, pronoun if I'm pronouncing it correctly, they took they they studied five different Jewish populations. Um, um, they I believe it was uh, Russians. Was I no? Sorry, Ashkenazi woman. Um, women, Jewish women from Azerbaijan and from Morocco and India. I don't know why they picked these locations specifically, but I guess to get a wide spectrum, they took these these four groups. That's who the lab techs were. What? That's where the lab techs were from. <laughs> could be. Could be. Because center. Possible. Um, right. So each one um, was unique. Um, each one, each one of these women was unique. Um, these, the DNA of these women were unique, not necessarily the same, but they were different than their surrounding population, I mean, different than the Gentile um, population. Here, you have a cedar. I don't recognize you. Look so nice. Yeah, especially after compared to me the last Thursday. So, so basically. Um, by the way, there is companies that, as you know, the, one of the biggest in the world, one of the biggest companies in the world is in Houston, Texas, um, that does, uh, what, what, what do you call it, population genetics. You've seen them advertised. It's called Gene by Gene. It's actually owned by two Jewish fellows here in Houston. Um, someone Greenspan, Bennett Greenspan, and Mark 
Blankfield. Max Blankfield. Okay, they actually own this uh, big company here, which is an international company. Actually, have also offices in Israel too, and they basically you can come to them. You pay your whatever it is, your fee, under fifty bucks, and they can tell you um, your roots. You know, if you have any uh, Kazakh roots or any um, whatever Hungarian, whatever you know, whatever you want to find out. Okay, um, Slovi Slovian. Where's Melania from? Slovenia. Slovenia. Slovenian roots. You can find out anything, any roots. You just give a sample, and they, they come back to you and tell you your roots. Now, the problem is that clearly doesn't work so well because they're big. Now, let's say you say you want to find out my Jewish roots are. The people coming to them, just, you know, they just, you just fill out a form saying, okay, I'm Jewish, and, uh, but you have no, have no way of really knowing of what you're saying um, is true. Claiming you're Jewish, maybe you're not, maybe we don't know. Was there a conversion? Was there? Was there? We there's no really way. That really scientifically doesn't. It's a nice thing. You want to know if you have any Slovenian roots, but it's not going to help you um, in any which way to prove your Jewishness or not because you, you don't know. You don't really know. They're just comparing. They're just basing on what you're saying and base comparing that to what other people are saying about their DNA. So that's just uh, not really very scientific. Although they're making a lot of money. So. Um, so here, what this, what this lab in Israel did was they only took people that can prove their Jewishness for three generations. Okay, so words, they only would accept women into the study in their control group who were able to prove and exactly what the proof is. I didn't ask them, but they can prove that they're, they've been Jewish for three generations and they have, they have that, they, that's provable. I don't know how that's provable exactly, but whatever... However, it is. They brought pictures of their grandmother, and Babushka. And I, I'm not sure. <laughs> so, um, so, but basically, again, they took these different populations, um, and uh, and they checked back. Actually, says four generations, and currently, they the study has been done with four thousand women, four thousand samples, comparing it to the way they had twenty thousand non-Jewish samples. Okay, so it's four thousand women. Um, compared to four thousand to twenty thousand non-Jewish um, women, and their findings were that forty percent of the Ashkenazi women um, have one of the four types um, that fit into one of these four categories that are not found. Their DNA, meaning on their DNA, they have this unique marker which is not found in mitochondrial DNA. Mitochondrial DNA, which is not found in any of the non-Jewish women. Okay, so forty percent of the Ashkenazi women tested How had one this four one in four had this specific unique marker, which is not found in any non-Jewish woman. So is that a good result or a mediocre result? That's the question. Oh, oh, oh and what is the significance of it? I mean, other than other than wow, isn't that interesting? What's this? Right, so that's what we're going to talk about. So marker, you're Jewish. If you don't have the marker, it doesn't answer the question. Yes. Now, first of all, two, we'll get we'll get to the significance and the but ramifications of it. But let's first understand the study. So again, forty percent of the Ashkenazi women um, fit into one of the four categories that had this unique marker, which did not was not found in non-Jewish women. Thirty percent. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the please. four types of markers that are represented in only Jewish mitochondrial DNA—that's from older studies. 
They no, know that's this all for from the him. Past. That's all he did for this. So this four types is just recently discovered that there are only four types that seem to be uniquely in his, it's all in his study, yes. Jewish, and that I would we have to question that original thought. But okay, keep going. Well, it's a mutation only found on these on these. Specific I understand, but once you define types of whatever. The question is, how did you come to that definition? Mm-hmm. And He's so the comparing qu- it to other. To I understand. So it, it's just interesting how he did that. Right. So I, again, I'm not a scientist. I don't. I, I, I don't Cohen know. Gene? Spelling it correctly. No. I have there. Soretsky. It's not the Cohen gene. He hasn't Soretsky. found what the gene is yet. Oh. It's on the mitochondria. It's a, it's a unique matter. Jewish gene. Not the Cohen. Soretsky. I have, but I don't know if I'm spelling. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Sounds close enough. So that means that if, if a Jewish woman uh, had children who converted to Catholicism, then they didn't have that Jewish gene. Yeah, so that's why it's relevant. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to where the, it's a, the application of it. But before, let me just finish what he, the facts of the study. Um, the second part was 30% of the women tested had a different, this, again, this is of 2,000 women, not necessarily such a big group, 30, 30% had a different pattern changes in mitochondria, different than non-Jews, um, sorry, different than non-Jews, but not like the non-Jews, meaning, so meaning they didn't have this specific mutation, but uh, they had other pattern changes, which were different, also different than non-Jews. So not the four. Right, they didn't think this, but, but they had different pattern changes. Also, which weren't found the, in the non-Jewish DNA. The getting weaker as you go on. Okay, that's the other 30%. <laughs> yeah. And then 30% um, have, 30% of the Jewish women tested had the same as non-Jewish women. Um, okay, without any mutations. Okay. okay. So far, I'm not so, sure we learned a lot, but okay. So, uh, so that doesn't prove that they're not Jewish necessarily, because it could be their, their grandmother converted, or, right? So no, it doesn't prove any. More genes at the exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. He thinks they're only. Yeah. Okay. So right. So it doesn't prove. It doesn't prove uh, anything as far as whether you know. It doesn't prove they're not Jewish. That clearly we won't be able to use that because um, obviously it could be they had a convert in the family, um, which or not. when you convert your genes, or at least not. as far as we know, the, your DNA doesn't change. Okay. Um, or it could be some of the non-Jews were actually Jewish, and there's. They're not, did they, they do don't know Sephardic? about that. Did they, did they examine Sephardic women? Yes, Sephardic Moroccan. Yeah, we, we yeah. did Moroccan. And, uh, but the specific, the 30%, the 40% that he's talking about initially, of the findings of this specific mutation were, were in Ashkenazi women, specifically. I don't mm-hmm. know why. Maybe he's racist. I don't know. I'm not sure what. Why the, the, the study was done. Well, the 40% that he's talking about is only in Ashkenazi women. Okay, the specific mutation. Okay, the last study he, he had was 700 Ashkenazi women of the 40% out of 20,000. Not sure what this means. Only two women had it. Not sure what that means <laughs> exactly, but but um, he this was a, his most recent study. I don't know. Anyway, so the question is, the obvious question is, can, as a, in the halachic system now, there, no, it's, this story started actually, with there's a, a chief rabbi of Moscow, his name escapes me at the moment, um, came to, asked Rabbi Steinberg to come to Russia, Dr. Steinberg to come to Russia to discuss this issue. Meaning he basically, in, in 
Russia, which was communist <coughs> not so long ago. So there are many, they had generations of Jews who totally lost, um, many of them intermarried, and now they're coming back now, um, many of them coming to Israel also, and they're claiming they're Jewish, but they have no proof of their Jewishness. And it's a problem in within Israeli society. Um, it's a problem in Russian society, meaning they're claiming that their great-great-grandmother you know, was Jewish, that's what they heard, but they have no proof. Many of them initially were also, they wanted to get into Israel, so by, by claiming they're Jewish, they were able to leave um, Soviet Russia, or subsequently um, Russia, to get to be allowed into Israel. So, so there's a lot of, there was a lot of deception going on, and the question is, how do you prove it, what do you do? Um, and it's a problem within Israeli society today, where you have thousands of these Russian Jews, and in Russia, it's, it's also a problem. So this ra this Russian rabbi um, asked Dr. Steinberg to come to Russia to discuss it, and basically he wants to know, can he work with Professor Soretsky, with this professor in Israel, to to actually use this as a as a proof to give people DNA tests to define their and find them as Jews um, based on the DNA. God, DNA this sounds so messy. <laughs> In, on what level? On a scientific level. Scientific level. Mm -hmm. Okay, why? It sounds outrightly frightening where people could take this information. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? One second, he's saying two different things. He's saying scientifically, you're and saying... And this is because there, there's open... Well, going from mess, scientifically messy, it's open to interpretation for every psychopath in the world to say, you are not Jewish because you don't have this gene, or worse, no, so you are Jewish so clearly because saying you don't that's have not this that gene. Saying you're someone's not Jewish is irrelevant, like we said, because it doesn't prove anything because because uh, maybe their grandmother was that, a convert. That's because that's you're, ra that's you're yeah, yeah, a rational we're talking, person. No, we're talking about <laughs> ra in the rabbinate. We're talking okay. it's that's, working that's with not that Not that there's okay. no, I'm not saying all rabbis are rational and not crazy. God forbid. But, um, but <laughs> the point being is we're all, the issue now is to use it as a, on the contrary, to prove that someone is Jewish. Um, that's, that's they the have issue. a Jewish ancestor. No, no, it's because in, in traditional Judaism, the Judaism is decided by the maternal, by the mother. So that okay, so if there's a female mitochondria, like we said before, you can only, mitochondria, mutations in mitochondria, or mitochondria is only, your mother, only female. So therefore, there's no, whether you had a male, a male, that wouldn't affect you. So if you have a person with a woman who has this mitochondria, then you could say that her mother and her mother's mother and her mother's mother. But what about Ezra Nehemiah? Ezra Nehemiah changed the maternal transmission of Judaism ownership around that time the return to the second temple prior to that it was still a paternal tradition traditional Judaism does not say that well Avraham to Yitzchak for instance that's father to son it's not Judaism then that wasn't that was Abraham's the first Jew really what about Yitzchak is not Jewish no Wait, um, this is, this is my right most now. opinions. Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob are Jewish not Jewish. nation was started at Mount Sinai, at the Exodus in Mount Sinai. But Abraham's not the first Jew? Not necessarily. He was, uh, Yitzhak he is, was not the, is not a second not Jew? Not halachically, again, not halachically. Okay. So, wow, okay. But. Well, there are forefathers. Okay, I need it to It doesn't calm make down. them uh, Jewish. 
No, actually, you don't. <laughs> well, the question is, did George Washington have an American passport? Right. Or what to find someone Jewish? So that's the question. Okay, so if Isaac, though, is the tra- is the transition uh, is our his tradition. mother wasn't Jewish, right? But he is considered within our tradition as the lineage the of our tradition, yes. and no, his mother was not Jewish. Uh, yeah, so no, therefore, it's passed know, on from father. To find Jewish. I mean, I'm not sure his mother was his cousin. It's part of the, the same The point family. is, Abraham, so, Isaac, and Jacob, the lineage is transmitted by patrilineal descent, yeah. not yeah, natural but I, I descent. Yeah, right. not halachically, it's transmitted by maternal ma, ma, maternal that's descent. A mod, that's a modern thing. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Traditional Judaism doesn't say that. We believe really? the really? Torah says very clearly in Parashat Vayetchanan that you, if you intermarry, your kids will not be Jewish. But that doesn't mean patrilineal or matrilineal. That just oh, means intermarriage. It's talking about marrying a non-Jewish woman. So that's what it's referring Why? to. Why? Why couldn't it mean the so other I said, way? I don't know. Look at the verses. I'm just telling you what, the, what traditional Judaism says. We're not going to... That's a whole different topic. What I was thinking yeah. that if you're talking about different descents, so the Yemenite Jews that are separated earlier than the Second Temple, they're... If you were to follow that logic, the mitochondrial DNA of the women might be completely different because it doesn't so follow the natural Jew, Jewish women too. Um, that's part of the study. I know that's part of the four categories. Not Yemenite. He did study. Not, not Yemenite. Right, Yemenites were actually the first time. That's what I'm saying. It's earlier. Oh, you say you didn't say Morocco. I, I said Yemenite. Oh, okay. So I don't know. That's a good point. But uh, but I'm saying I don't know if that fact that you're stating is true. That uh, that. Well, Things change during the second time. If you don't time. have data, I don't know if that's a true fact. You can't use the test. Doesn't apply to them. Yet. Yeah, but I'm saying anyway, it would only be those specific women, you know, from you know, Yemenite. Yeah, but uh, and they had progeny that went to you know Chicago. Yemenite. I, I, I agree. That's what I'm saying. It, it's a messy study. It's not like... Yeah, so the, listen, first of all, it's in the process. It's still not done. The study is obviously, it's in the... It's, it hasn't been finalized yet. There's obviously the more numbers... They take another 6,000 years. ...could get worse, could get better. Questions in its current form, Dr. Steinberg is dealing with, in its current form, halachically, would it be sufficient proof to prove, let's say, this woman wrote to work with the Russian rabbi and figure out can this be done to prove people's Jewishness as opposed to, because right now it's a bigger problem. Right now you have Jews in Israel and Jews in Russia who are sort of living in limbo, so they require them to do another conversion, a second conversion, or not a second, a first conversion, because we're not sure if they're really Jewish and that people are f- get offended by that, obviously, and it's also not so simple because in Halakhic Judaism, if you don't accept the mitzvot, the conversion, except to do to observe all of its vote, then it's not a valid conversion, according to most. So so you get into a lot of sticky issues because you have all these Jews in coming to in Israel. Are they considered Jewish or not? How does, how does it work? Should they be buried in Jewish cemetery? It's very offensive to a lot of people. It's, it's a big problem. So maybe this technology can solve the problem in that sense by you take the you just submit a little bit of t- you know saliva. And well, now it we solves the problem for that maybe 40 percent that are lucky, yeah. but it doesn't solve. Yeah, okay, the problem but at all for 60 percent. That could be. But, but I'm saying, but the but point is, right, for that 40 percent, it will help. He's right. If it's my public, will interpret the 60 percent exactly. as they're not Jewish. Correct. And if that's a different. That's a more of a philosophical question. If it comes down from mitochondria. Then yeah. wouldn't the males have the same? We did a study on no. the issues. The sperm won't have mitochondria. 
No, but if you have this mitochondria, yeah, you have it because your mother was Correct. Jewish. Yeah. Correct. So you have it. So you're a, a, a male coming to... Yes, it's not only a test for females. Correct. for males and females. What we're saying is it's in because Allah says maternal descent is what decides, so therefore it could only... Meaning if if you could receive some of these mutations from a male, from from your no, father, no, you then can't. it won't. But, but a, male would, right. a male right. might and have. It won't prove anything. You and I might have that mitochondria. Right. It was a yes. forty percent chance. Yes. yes. But there's a six percent chance that you won't. And this is only for Ashkenazi. Right. Well, and even so though far, you have a tree that goes way, 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 way. Now you want to say my fear of this? Were found on the group of Ashkenazi women. Ashkenazi, not Zavardic. The ones that they've isolated, these mutations, yeah. These weren't the Moroccan ones. And what about the Ethiopians? That's a, that's a good so question. Has, has there been statistics run on this? Has there been, is yes. it been a formally, we'll to this. like yes. is it a real study or is this just kind no. of an idea? And that is, I don't know what a real study means. I'm a rabbi. Is it published? But, uh, but is it published? Uh, that I can't, I don't know. I'm assuming, but I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, listen, he, He's met, Dr. Steinberg has met with the professor in his lab, I'll tell you the story. So basically, what happened was, they, they need, to make decisions on this level, you need some big rabbis. <coughs> I can't do it. Usually it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not for your regular Joe Shmo rabbi, someone who's like what we call the posekadar, the, the, you know, the leader of the generation, the, the halachic decisor. And unfortunately, we're not doing too well these days with having such good leaders. Um, you know, we've lost the well, Yashiv, who was known as he was the last one. He died around I don't know six, seven years ago. And there's not really a great replacement for for someone who would have the shoulders and the authority that people would accept his ruling basically across the board, because that's what you need. Um, so there is someone who um, Dr. Steinberg works with. His, his name is Zalman Nechemia Goldberg. He's probably the probably the biggest halachic expert alive today. I've met him. I've had the privilege of meeting him a few times. He actually works with Rabbi Dr. Steinberg in the Encyclopedia Talmud. So they sh- they their offices are not far from each other. And he so he came to him with this information and he said, "Listen, I'm a." Too old for this. Um, I re- he wasn't really the way Dr. Steinberg described it. He wasn't interested. He said he's also. You have to realize in Israel, when you come out with a controversial halachic ruling, your uh, your life could be in jeopardy because <laughs> there's a lot of extremists in Israel and anything you say. So he's had his share of, uh, you know, of uh, rocks thrown through his window, in the literal and proverbial sense. Um, this rabbi, and he said, listen, I, you know, it's too complicated, and I, you know, I don't understand the science, find someone younger who can deal with it. So Dr. Steinberg convinced him that at least to meet with the, the professor, and hear it, like, hear him out, just hear it, and then you could decide, you could say later on, you don't want to deal with the issue. Okay, because it's not a yes or no question, it's obviously something you'd have to study, it's months of work and dealing with the lab, so, th- so actually this professor came down with seven members of his lab team um, and there was also with this rabbi Dr. St- um, there was Rabbi Goldberg and the um, Dr. Steinberg and he said two ten members of two other Beth Dins from the rabbinate in Israel didn't say names were all at this meeting together he said so it took two days the lab spent over seven hours explaining the, ra- the rabbi this Rabbi Goldberg the just about the studies and the science of it and I assume till that point he probably never heard of mitochondria. 
Um, so it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> you have to explain all the technology and how the study was done, etc., and and the statistics of it. So they spent seven hours two, over two days with the rabbi, he said, and the rabbi was intrigued, and he said, okay, I'm ready to take on the question. Which rabbi? This rabbi, Goldberg, Nechami Goldberg. Um, what are you saying? I'm just, I'm just he's thinking, not saying what he, he's just, just saying. He's ready even, to look into the question. Even in our tradition, there are so many non-Jews. I'm thinking of Ruth. You know, yes, of that, course. So we're not, so that, that's, so, we're not so discussing so many the common, There's many kinds. Strains of, of, bacteria, yeah. of mitochondrial DNA that are going to be involved in our DNA. That it, it's amazing to me to come out with any kind of statement. It's shocking. That's why I'm like, no, I'm saying, I'm science behind that Ruth's, gra- Ruth's grand- grandchildren, a hundred generations later, might not be part of the 40%. I don't know if that's one of the markers. Maybe. I don't know I don't, we don't know. We don't know anything about Ruth, but well, might have been Ruth's. Might not necessarily. You're right. Been, You're you know, right. There's probably. Well, there's that's, there's that's part of the issue because the, the way he explained uh, to me, it's very strange, meaning. When you're saying there's only this four specific mutations, that means they came from four specific women. Now, they're they're tracing this back to let's say so. to Bai Cheney. That's what he, he yeah. discussed. That this might, so that means there were four. The whole science. I don't. I'm not a scientist. So the return but from Babylonia. Meaning, meaning the whole. When you're saying there's four specific mutations in female mitochondria, that means there this these four mutations came from four women. I assume they're not mutations, they're variations. They're really variations. Or whatever. 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 They're four women, yes. That's the assumption so, that they're so four that women. So that means why, why is only these four women um, here I don't know. got their DNA candidate? So he, Dr. Steinberg, told me, I asked him this question, so he said, well, it means that they had uh, 15 kids and the other women around just had three kids, so they're, they ended up having much more progeny. That's how all DNA mutations work. I mean, that's all assumptions that yes, could be Yes, assumptions, but, they, you know, but that's scientifically why they say there's this whole population has this, that's what the whole this company, Gene by Gene, how do they know from Slovenia? Because it's all based on specific so 40% variations or mutations. 40% uh, came from these four uh, women. Right. Okay. It have, came from four specific women. I mean, we, can, we can assume for argument that, that the science is valid. I don't think it is, <laughs> but we can assume for for this argument well, that, in order f- that, that for the forty percent is valid and sixty percent are are well, not provable, yeah. mm-hmm. and forty percent. That's not a very good percentage. It's, it's a great percentage. No, yeah, yeah, but it's not. A, it's not a. Majority. Well, it when, when, when I'm asked at the, at the USA, uh, when I'm asked to be a witness on it, some kind of accident case, the lawyers say to me, Doctor, could you give your answer in medical, this is a legal case, in, say in Israel, of medical probability, and they would say, well, what is medical probability is great, more chance than not. Right. So that means that if somebody is has uh, is in the forty percent, there's a greater chance than not that they are of Jewish descendancy. Uh, and if they say there is not forty percent, you can't prove that they are, but you could certainly prove you can't prove that they're not. Right. But so that means if I say if I I'm Jewish, my grandmother and my mother were Jewish, and we. We were in the Urals and we were working as slave laborers like everyone else, but I'm Jewish. We can't prove that they're not. No, th- there's no question that based on this study, you can't prove that they're not. Right. But they're, they're, 
the premise of this study is that for a certain number you can prove that they are. Mm -hmm. And so if you wanted to look at it from a legal standpoint, you would be able to say that a positive means that there is a preponderance of evidence that they are Jewish to a and greater the, to a greater likelihood than that they're not. Presumably the percentage is no. And what so, was, so for the 40%, if they happen to be positive, you would be able to say with a reasonable level of certainty that they have uh, a Jewish mother in their lineage. Okay. Or, so, or you could say for the 60%, you'd have to say, well, you'll have to go through the conversion process. No, uh, no, I think all, all you have to say for the 60% is you have no don't problem. know. We right. have to do you something. Proof. We don't yeah. know. Right, no, but the point is, he's right, meaning the issue they're addressing is if a woman from that 40% comes and we take, she's of the 40%, is that sufficient proof to say she's halachically Jewish? Probably that's, is. So that's the question. So... Is that is that the challenge that the uh, yes. Asians are facing? Yes, that's no, that's that's what they're trying to figure out. Can they need a they want a decision based on this? If well, we have a woman who's from that forty percent, can we then proclaim well, her Jewish did, halachically? How did Rabbi Doctor Steinberg? Should be pretty easy. There was him. another background number that uh, I didn't know if I heard. Easy in, in of those four markers, uh, although we don't know that the four markers are the entirety, but let's say there are four markers. What are the percentage in the non-Jewish population that they happen to also test positive for those four markers? Is it zero percent? Yes, uh, the way I understood it, yes. It's absolutely zero percent. These specific mutations are not found so in again, any non-Jewish So that's non -Jewish not believable. They're not found any non-Jewish women that they tested yeah, as much as the test the was the done in Israel. Where were they no. doing the test? Yeah. No, 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 they, they were said they had 20,000 women. Look, they had 100 markers, and yeah. 50 of the markers were positive in 3% of the non-Jewish population. They drew the line high. Right, so right, we're going right, to take right, this right. markers that, yeah. don't, that don't occur anymore. So zero of the 20,000 controls... These are specific. Zero. Zero. The 10 other markers they have that identify Jewish women, but they can't say... That was the outside the four. Yeah. Wow. They, no, well, they said out of, tw uh, I'm not sure what this means, but I think out of 20,000 women, two women had it. 20,000 non-Jewish women. Right. Two women had. What were they chosen from China? for the four markers. Yeah. For one of the four markers. I believe so. They might have, they might have come from China, you know. <laughs> okay, so now, so, what, so what's the halachic issues involved? So, so just to... It's Jew in the woodpile. So, uh, so the, the, the first, there's a concept in a... Um, because normally in halacha, we always require what's called to prove anything, especially relevant to issues like this. You need to have witnesses. Um, you need to have two witnesses. The Torah says, "Al pishnaim edim yakum davar." It's a verse in the Torah. You need to have two witnesses testify. Anything less than two witnesses, when it comes to ascertaining facts, um, is not accepted in halacha. Um, in most areas, depends on which area. We're talking about relevant to marriage, which this is technically relevant to. Um, things like that. Uh, we'll talk about a guna if a woman. We need to ascertain that the husband is dead. So you need to have usually you need to have two witnesses to testify. Um, in a Jewish court of law, less than two. Uh, anything less than two witnesses for murder, for anything, is not admissible evidence. For other things, let's say for kosher, if I tell you this is kosher, even though I'm not, you don't have two. You don't have, to have two witnesses telling you this bagel is kosher. It's sufficient to have one. Um, one person stating it's kosher, otherwise you'd never be able to eat in your home because your wife is not, uh, 
can't trust your wife. Right, to say that it's kosher. So in other words, one that's called Eidach and then Bisur. That means if it's just a prohibition, we believe one person. But for anything else, you usually need to have two. So the question is, but let's say, for example, there's a concept of what's called a Siman. Siman it literally means, the word means a sign. So let's say for, uh, Torah discusses lost objects. So there's an extensive law in Halacha called uh, return, you have to return a lost object to its rightful owner. And when the guy comes to tell you it's his You're object... Jewish. <laughs> well, we do it for non-Jews too because we're nice. But the obligation, yes, the specific obligation is for fellow Jew. Okay, how do you know that? Remember? I was actually reading okay. something about okay. that last week. Yes, we are a racist religion. We're proud. Um, so, so uh, <laughs> the the point being is that when someone comes to prove to say this is my wallet, how do they? They have to prove that it's theirs if you're going to give them back their wallet, Jewish or non-Jew. Okay, so how do they prove it? So there's there's different, there's three categories of what we call simanim. Um, okay, um, there's something called a siman muvhak. That means it's a it's a unique siman that no one, no, nothing else, it's a, no, no other wild will have the simon. Let's say it has a whole, uh, I'm trying to think of what would be something unique about it. It's made from... Uh, it's engraved with my initials. Right, okay, so right. right. If it's engraved in a certain way with your specific handwriting with your initials, that's something that's what's called a simumuvhak. It's on, it's unique to this object, and not there's no, there's no, it's not going to be found in anything else. Then there's what's called a simon benni, a middle of the road simon. Okay, it's a category that uh, you know you could, that's that's doesn't prove it for sure. It's not unique specifically to your wallet, but it's you know let's say whatever it will. I don't know what the numbers are. We'll talk about that. Then there's uh, then there's the lowest level of siman which doesn't prove anything. Okay, so now um, the question is, and this is is, is the concept of siman improving something, proving a fact with a sign, is that biblical or rabbinical? The allowance that's the discussion in in the Gemara or in the poskim whether it's biblical. Now this is relevant when you're dealing with identifying a, a dead body. Um, as we know, the concept is a serious concept in halacha with what's called an aguna. Aguna, aguna, which means a chained woman, is a literal word. Um, literal translation, aguna means chained. We're not dealing with the modern day aguna, which is a whole different concept, but the aguna means a chained woman, meaning it's a woman whose husband disappears. Those days before communication, the guy goes on an overseas trip, he never comes back. So it could be he decided he didn't like his wife and he's found the Asian woman overseas. And he's not coming, you know, he liked her better than his wife, and he's not coming back. And therefore, the woman is chained in the sense of she can't get married <coughs> because she needs to have a get in order to get married. She needs halachically. If he died, if he was killed or he drowned on, in the overseas or on the way, so then, of course, he. So this is very, it's problematic. It's a big problem in halacha because it wasn't so uncommon to have people disappear, go on a business trip, and not come back for, for a year or two. And if you permit the woman to remarry, just because the guy didn't show up, he ends up, he might show up three months later, and then she's remarried, has a nice new family, and those children are now mamzerim, so it causes a lot of halachic issues. So they had to come up with um, leniencies, rabbis, of course, within the framework of halacha, to prove death. So in other words, to have two witnesses come and say he died is almost very improbable. You're going to get two witnesses. So the rabbis allowed, they relied on what's called a simon muvhak. Okay, so everyone agrees more or less that a siman muvhak was something that's a proven, a unique siman, a unique sign. For example, saying the guy, a unique sign that's specific to this person, 
okay, is even Medaraisa, that means even biblically would be a f uh, sufficient proof to prove that this person had died. Okay, so let's say they had a specific uh, birthmark on his genitals, something like that. Okay, so that's something we assume it's on a specific spot and it's a specific shape. That would everyone would agree, and Allah says very clearly in the Shulchan Aruch, that's specific proof that this that person would be is if dead. found the body. Yeah, we're talking about we found the body, right? Um, but again, so it's identifiable by that. By the way, you have to be very careful. If you remember this many, many years ago, we were discussing this in class. Remember this? We had a woman, we had a fellow, and I preface it on if anyone had. We were discussing, um, this happened a lot in plane crashes specifically. Many responses written, and even after the Holocaust, by the way, there's uh, hundreds and hundreds of women who were stuck not knowing um, if their husband survived the Holocaust or not. And what do they do? Can we allow them to get married? Moshe Feinstein himself permitted supposedly over 150 women after the war, after the Holocaust, based on different evidence that they received, but and even uh, allowing these women to remarry, assuming their husbands had died. But just the fact that someone didn't, you didn't hear from him, they're not on a list after the war. I mean, there were many people who survived the war who moved to Brazil and South America and never heard from since. All right, so, so it's a very, it's a, it's a very serious issue in halacha because, again, being permitting what's what we call an eshet ish, that means a married woman, to remarry, and it needs to be clear that her husband is no longer alive. Um, so we were giving this class many years ago, not, not on this topic, but on topic of identifying uh, bodies, etc. So there was, I don't know if you remember, there was a doctor in the class, a woman, a doctor, an older woman who just started sobbing. You remember this? Mm -hmm. Maybe you went there. It was a terrible, one of my worst uh, days in teaching. So this woman, it turns out, we were, we were discussing responsum where they, there was a plane crash in the East River. A private plane crashed, and the, the Moshe Feinstein permitted they found, they only didn't found the body, they found a, a, a finger with a ring on it, with a um, ring, and that's how they identified this person to permit the, the based on the marriage ring, that's how they identified the woman, the, the, the man to permit her wife to remarry. And it turns out this person in the class had this specific story, her husband, 30 years before this, before I gave the class, had taken off from San Francisco, crashed San Francisco Bay, and she had to identify his body based on the ring and so she just started sobbing. it was terrible I sent her flowers afterwards there was it wasn't a so what are the odds <laughs> did she get remarried 40% <laughs> <laughs> she was remarried she, she said she hadn't cried in 35 years it happened 35 years ago she she was remarried she has kids from a new husband you don't know I can't believe I don't you don't remember, remember the story uh, anyway, he's the, he's so since he then <laughs> since then I'm very careful and when I give this class I ask if anyone had anyone killed the World Trade Center when I talk about DNA issues because when you talk about this there's always someone in the so how do we do how did they manage the, the, the World Trade Center issue because oh, so this, so this is part of it so we'll get there in a second so, so, so the first question oh that's right because the is yeah. most no, not planned only those with the uh, four markers so yeah. so basically the the the, main, the first question here we'll get to the World Trade Center in a second the halakha question is is simanim do right or not? So what we're saying is that siman muvhak, meaning most rishonim, that means most early, early authorities, say that if it's a siman muvhak, that means it's a unique siman specifically to this person or this object that's considered biblically accepted as testimony, as just as has the same uh, stance as witnesses. Does okay, that stand alone, or do you need another witness? No. 
No, that's a low. Meaning, if you have a simon muvak, simon benani, that means the middle category, which that's not unique specifically. Um, that is that. That's where there's an argument whether it's biblical or not. Now, here to prove someone's Jewishness, we would assume that you have to. It has to be a biblical proof, is what Dr. Um, Steinberg is saying. So, so meaning the question becomes: Is a change in a what was the word you used? You don't like mutation laws. Variation. A variation in the mitochondria. Variation is pejorative. Okay. Um, is is the variation in the mitochondria simon muvak? Is it? Do we consider that halachically a valid proof that would be sufficient to prove their Jewishness? Okay. Meaning again, it has to be a biblical. We're saying to be a simon muvak. You know, it has to be biblical. That means it would have to be a unique, specific thing that is not found anywhere else. Okay. So that's the question. Um, so, so now, in when it came to the World Trade Center and the DNA issue was, it was the first time it was really addressed in a real way, um, because there were at least seven or eight cases of um, women whose husbands didn't come home, specifically Jewish women, who wouldn't marry, who 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 needed a halachic decision. It was at least seven cases where the bodies weren't found. Um, and they needed they needed to know can they remarry? So there are many. Not going to get get into cases I was involved. There was one case that was actually related to Houston, because the guy was on the phone with he was a trader, on the 97th floor I believe, of the World Trade Center, and he was actually his last conversation. He was on the phone with a trading place in Houston with a company in Houston, doing a trade, and they recorded it was recorded here in Houston. So the Benton in New York that was dealing with the case called us, called not me specifically, but called the rabbis here to go to the company to, to get the recording from them and listen to it and then we would send it on to the Benton in New York. Um, so we, we were somewhat involved and based on that recording, which took place, um, I think it was nine or eight minutes before the, the Trade Center was hit by the plane and they had the recording here in Houston, um, they permitted his wife to remarry because we have to know that he was in the building at the time mm-hmm. the plane hit. Uh, so they, they, they basically figured out he, there's no way he could have made it out from the time of the recording. He couldn't have gotten downstairs and out of the building um, at, during that time period. So they, that was one case. But there are many, many different cases and many ways. Again, we try very hard, bend over backwards, as, as they say, if there's a rabbinic will, there's a rabbinic way to permit these women because because obviously you don't want to leave this woman in a situation where she's stuck not it being able to remarry. So you, you tr- we try everything we can. We're as lenient as possible to accept proof in these cases. But again, of course, it has to be halachi proof. You can't just say, you know... So the question is, make does this mark a rise to that right, level? So this, right, exactly. So, so in, when it came to the World Trade Center, there were basically two opinions um, in Israel. At the time, the American rabbis didn't want to decide, and they sent it to many rabbis in Israel, including Ravad Yosef, uh, and um, basically there were two opinions, the, the, or three really. So one, the the Nebrak rabbis were very extreme, and they said it's not proof. The, we they didn't accept DNA as proof because what happened was it was one specific case of the shoulder blade bone was found, um, and it was matched to the way it worked. Is actually I had been at a conference after 9/11 in New York, where they had the the what's it called not the DA, the guy from the coroner's office. 
Medical, medical examiner spoke about how they dealt with all the cases, um, and they were very helpful with with the rabbis at the time, with the <coughs> with the best in dealing with these issues. Um, so basically, they everyone, any all the surviving families, meaning the survivors' families, had to bring in a toothbrush and a hairbrush to the medical examiner's office. And they had hundreds of volunteers. I mean, it's for everyone. And then based on that, they all the ash that came in, they would sift it, not there and then any bone fragments were then compared after running all the DNA samples from the toothbrushes and, and hairbrushes of survivors um, and then they compared that okay so there, there was one specific woman whose husband had left to work early in the morning and at the, after six months they found the shoulder blade fragment a piece of the shoulder blade which matched his DNA and the question became can they permit her based on that Okay, so so ba basically there were three camps in Israel. The f one camp was, it's not acceptable, based on the fact that they considered DNA only what we call a simon benini, middle of the road simon. It wasn't it wasn't a simon muvhak, it wasn't a unique simon. And one of the things they based on, which sounds ridiculous, and Steinberg agrees that it's based on, they said that they, how do we know the lab didn't make a mistake? As we know, there are many mistakes happen in labs. Maybe they matched it to the wrong brush. We don't know for sure that the lab didn't make a mistake, which today I don't think is relevant anymore. We have, I mean, there are labs who do do some shady stuff, but any government-approved lab or any lab, um, today also you can take it to multiple labs and you can do the same test. And clearly you're not going to say this mistake happened three times in three different labs. So, so that's, that's one group. Um, the two rabbis, Vosner and Nissen Karelitz, that was their opinion. They did not accept DNA. In general, you have with extreme um, orthodox rabbis, there's a concept called chadash. Anything new, any new technology is automatically assumed. We don't accept it, you know, and they work down from there. So that's, that's that group. And then you have, so on the other side, you had um, Zalman Chami Goldberg, this rabbi who's dealing with this case now, he said, it's considered, he considered a simon muvhak DNA, um, and he said it's acceptable, you can permit the woman to remarry. Rebel Yashiv um, was sort of in the middle of the road, compromised position. He said he permitted it, he permits DNA, but not by itself, with some, some other factor involved, what we call a glime with dover, which means he said, let's say we know the guy was in the building, he went to work that morning, and he saw, we know he was there because he called his wife that morning, so we know he's in the building, and then we find DNA evidence, so he permitted it together with that. That was Rabbi Yashif. That was the compromised position. This woman, they did permit her at the end based on, on everything we said. So she she did remarry. So the question becomes, um, the difference, why is this DNA different? Because here, this is Rabbi Steinberg's observation, and again, this wasn't decided yet, but basically saying that when you're dealing with that case of DNA, of a, you're dealing with the whole DNA of the person, okay? Um, the whole nuclear DNA and identifying a body. So you found the shoulder blade, we're going to match that to his, the whole nuclear DNA in his toothbrush and his hairbrush. So that's one in 30 million. Um, it's very unique. It's one in 30 million to have the same DNA. So the chances of that being someone else, that he's saying very much is would fit into that category of what we call a siman muvak. It's a clear, unique siman for this person, no one else. One in 30 million is enough to say that that's called unique as a siman <coughs> and it's accepted. And therefore, Zalman um, Chaim said that's a siman muvak and therefore it's not an issue. That they would permit the woman to remarry. By the way, there was a whole, just as an aside, again, let me just finish my thought here, but in this case, um, we're not, when we're dealing with the DNA here, right, we're not dealing with 
it's it's not, we're not saying this person has a unique sign. What we're saying is this is now we're putting them into a category. If they have this variation on their DNA, that means they're in now a category of all other Ashkenazi women. Okay, so it's very different than the case of 9/11. The DNA in 9/11, what they permitted was this is a unique siman. Here, it's not the same. Here, what we're saying is this all Ashkenazi women have the siman on their DNA, on their mitochondrial DNA. Okay, so it's not, it's, that's the question. Do we look at that differently? Because we're not saying it's unique to them. It's unique to a group. We're now placing them in a group with the sima, as opposed to saying this. You hear the difference? So that's part of the question that they have to figure out. Um, by the way, just as, as an aside, one of the reasons in Israel they were very nervous and careful about permitting the DNA when it came to 9-11 is because once they say they, they allow DNA as a proof, halachically, as a valid proof, then you're going to get, a, you're going to have a lot of what we call mamzerim, children who are now legitimate. Because anyone, as you know, today you can go to Walgreens, buy a test that says, "Who's my daddy?" Ever see the signs on the six ten? There's a lot of signs. Right? You can for for twenty five bucks today, you can figure out who your daddy was. Right. So so if you say DNA is a halachic proof, so then you you get into the who who my daddy problem is, and then uh, you're going to have a lot of people proving. Um, that they're uh, and halakhically it's a major problem illegitimate children meaning who if the woman was married and and the daddy wasn't who she said it was that causes a lot of halakhic issues and mamzerim can't marry can only marry other mamzerim etc so that, so that was one of the big issues so they came and what's fascinating is when they permitted the DNA um, as halakhic proof after 9-11 they didn't permit it to prove paternity it was only allowed to prove, um, prove the body, but not for paternity. So how could that be? So there, the the this is why you have to be tal- Talmudic mind. This is why you need to you have to study Talmud for many years for this. Is what they said was it only it it proves the genetic makeup came from that man, but we don't know that they had she had an affair. Maybe it was IVF. Because there's other ways today that you can have a child, not with your husband. Okay, so it's not halakhically telling us that she had an affair, meaning if someone has uh, does IVF with a man other than the husband, it's not a mamza, according to most opinions, many opinions. Uh, uh, okay, meaning if a married woman takes someone else with another man's sperm and, and does IVF with it, or does uh, artificial insemination, that doesn't make the child a mamza, even though she's married. So meaning, so the genetic, genetic proof, proving, t- doing a test on DNA, doesn't prove that she had an affair, it proves that Yes, another. Uh, she got pregnant with another man's sperm, but so doesn't that, mean. Uh, so that means that if a woman, let's just, he can't have tree. He's had cancer, testicle, testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. So the brother is his brother is this, his twin brother is the sperm donor to his wife. Okay. So that child is not a mom. Not a mom, right? Okay. According to most. But if they had had intercourse, so, then it would yes. be a mom. Yes. Okay. So a woman can always say, "Well, okay." didn't have an affair with him, but he did give me some sperm and I inseminated myself and I got pregnant. Correct. Well, you say it's always a way out. It's always uh, a way out. No, well, sometimes That's you have... That's why turkey basters No, same. If you have witnesses that saw them in Motel 6 together, then <coughs> that's the point. You need two things. No, I'm saying you're right. You you, no, well, you don't need the... the no, I'm saying the point is, let's say he was on a trip for a year and then she gets pregnant. Okay, so now she could say I had IVF, but if, say, the two witnesses saw her going into the hotel room with Mr. X, right, so then, then 
It's like Oreo that they think going into schmooze. Right, so we don't, well, you're right. There has to, you have to see them in a lover's embrace. Yeah. Witnesses have to have seen them in a lover's embrace. This is King David, same thing. Okay, so, so, um, okay, back to this case, sorry. Let's try to finish this off quickly. So, where was it? So basically, so the question is, again, because this is not saying this is unique to this person, the DNA doesn't show you this mutation or variation, doesn't show you it's unique to this person, it's more of a general mm-hmm. putting into a category, that, that becomes the question. Um, and th- there's different ways, by the way, to look at, we're not going to get into all the details, but Simanim, but he, um, Dr. Steinberg, brought two proofs from different places in the Talmud as to whether um, as to whether uh, putting someone in a category would that work. Um, so one was, one proof he brought was a case of, uh, just kind of on a tangent, but a case of Kilaim. Um, there's a prohibition to to mate two different species, non-humans, non, uh, in the Torah. By the way, that's good to know. Meaning you can't take two different animals and mate them together. So for example, a mule, which comes from a horse and a donkey, is prohibited, it's not prohibited to use the mule once it's made, it could benefit from it, but there's a prohibition of actually taking two different animal species and mating them together. Um, the, the Torah says, we don't know why, the Torah prohibits it. Assumption is we, you know, God created the world with certain order, and we want to keep all our, the right species together. That doesn't apply to plants, just to animals. It does apply to some plants too, yes, actually. Even though we have Yaakov doing hybrid splicing, genetic engineering, that's okay? Yeah, I'm not sure what you're referring to, but... but uh, with Levan. No, that was animals. That was, no, that oh. was his wheat. Oh, animal. It talks about animals. You do different sheep to produce uh, more. Right, 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 right. Black yes. and the blue, but that's sheep. It's in the but same he, species. He used plants to do this. He, yeah, okay. he used the plants. Right. No, he used, yeah, he used the so plants. So a labradoodle is a kosher dog. Yeah, if it's in the same species, okay. it's kosher. We're so talking about two different The species. recent chimera between a human and a pig to grow organs would be... That's a different, that's an interesting question. We didn't, we didn't get to that. Halachically, we're not there. Give us one, one question at a time. We can't handle it. We'll overburden the rabbis. It's not going to be good. Um, <laughs> we'll so, have to send you flowers. So, uh, the point is, I did see that question. It hasn't been discussed yet, but it's a good question. Um, where the growing organs, yes. you heard about mm-hmm. Human organs and pigs, yes. So, uh, the point is, yeah, where it's going. Oh, so his proof is like this. So, it discusses, Talmud discusses. Um, and why, do, why is that a prohibition? Does it explain? No, no. no. Torah just says kalayim. Just says, don't, we, uh, it's, there's three types of kalayim in the Torah, mixing of species. One is in plants. You know, like, for example, you're not supposed to plant your wheat right next to your grapes. That's bad because they can inter-germinate <coughs> or whatever. And you can have grit, I guess, or wheat, whatever. And then, so that's a problem. You know, all these species, like a tangelo and whatever, it's problematic to do it as a Jewish farmer. We eat them. Listen, once it's done, we have no problem benefiting from it. But they're very, they taste delicious, but you're not supposed to do it. They have a lot of stuff that pears with uh, apples. So all of them, for an Jew- Israeli farmer, a Jewish farmer, to do that is problematic. To actually mix the species. We don't mix species. Um, but you can eat. Yeah, once it's done, someone else does it, you can eat. Yeah. Okay, so, so anyway, to make a long story short, he brings a proof. Um, Gemara says, allows it, if the, as long as the mother is the same species, we don't care about the father. That, that's sufficient to allow the species. Meaning, let's say you have something that's a mixed breed, 
father is from a different species, but the mother is from the same species. You have two animals like that. Can I now breed that animal with the other? The Gemara discusses this. And the, and the um, Gemara says, as long as the mother is from the same species, that's sufficient. And you, how do you know? It brings the simanim that show this is from this species X. So Dr. Steinberg wanted to bring this as a proof to show the simon here is working just to place it in a group. It's not a unique simon for this animal. It's a simon in general. It's a general simon. He's just showing this as a precedent where we find using simonim for a biblical prohibition of, of uh, intermingling of species. And we're now placing it in a group as opposed to, as opposed to uh, um, just saying something about this animal. He brought another proof. So Jewish women are a species. God forbid. <laughs> okay. Let's represent that anymore. So, so there's a lot more to this. Obviously, it's in flux. It's, it hasn't been decided yet. But according Dr. Steinberg's opinion is, he thinks it should be permitted as proof, based on this that that this is considered enough of a siman muvag. He's saying, listen, for Aguna, for example, there's so many lesser things that we permit. For example, if the guy has, a, you know, a, grow, a mole on his nose, we we identify the body that way. Or someone, for example, they bring as as because really it's defining what a simon muvak is. He and he went into that a lot, but halachically it's very vague as to the definition of what's considered a unique simon. But he says they bring things, for example, as a, a you know a guy's missing a leg, missing an arm, okay, and they find his body. He was a he was a thing like that, which is obviously that's not unique to this person. There are many people missing arms and legs, and still we bring that as a proof to identify the body. The shulchan brings that as proof. Um, he said so far there's been, there is one, um, what's called an Ahron, meaning a later authority in the commentary in the Shogun who s- uses the language, defines a Simon Mava by saying one in a thousand. Okay, it has to be unique. Unique is defined as one in a thousand. So there are people who say if you actually did this statistical studies on this DNA that he found in the lab, and they say it's only one in 900. So it doesn't fit the match. But he, Steinberg's saying that's ridiculous because it's when someone and this is a very fascinating topic which we can go into a different time when Chazal meaning in times past when the Gemara says we rely let's say for example just as one example we rely on we drink milk from every cow well cows are kosher so the milk is kosher right camel milk is not kosher so now how do we know if the by the way if the cow is what we call a trefa it has a defect inside let's say it has a hole in its lung or a defect in any internal organ it's not kosher that means the milk from that cow would not be kosher so today we have MRIs and stuff like that. They didn't have that then. So how did they? How could you ever drink milk? The cow might have a defect inside. So there's a concept that Talmud says: Rov behemot kesherim. Most animals we are, are don't have defects. Now did, did they go around in times of the Talmud and do a scientific study to figure out that? You know, they took the, you know, the five cows they had in front of them in their in their farm. And they decided, based on the cows that they saw, that most animals are don't have defect. They didn't go to Africa and to America and other locales and do a scientific study and compare them to other. Right? So, so most uh, there's no statistical when Chazal give numbers. Um, they don't. It's not statistical studies. There was no statistics then. I don't think they. So clearly, they didn't rely on statistics. Right. So when they said, "Where's this?" It's an assumption. Well, most animals are kosher, and you can assume most animals don't have this defect. Okay, and therefore you can drink milk today. Although there are rabbis, believe it or not, who don't drink milk, because <laughs> today they claim that they they get inoculated and that makes a defect. Whatever, but that's besides the point. Not going there. Um, the the point is so so he's saying statistical study when they said one in a thousand. 
it's ridiculous to say, okay, this is 900. One in a thousand was just a general statement. They weren't saying specific numbers. They didn't have specific numbers. and they, It wasn't based on science. So therefore, of course, today, if we have what's called uh, this simon, this DNA, which Statistical was, significance. Yes. So he says, therefore, he, in his opinion, it, it's 100% should be permitted and accepted as proof to Jewishness. In fact, the standard. But he is not the deciding factor. It's going to be some other big rabbis. I would love to read the study. Maybe we'll get a hold of it. Uh, I actually tried to set, when he was here this past week, I tried to set him up with Greenspan and with this company called Gene by Gene because I figured they'll be excited they can make money from it. And he can talk about the science with them. And, but Green, Greenspan was actually out of town. And the other guy, the other partner, Max, told me he knows nothing about genetics. He's just a, a money guy. Yeah. So he said, actually, we set him up. He's going to meet with their company in Israel when he gets back. Um, and hook up the lab with them and see if they can do work together. We'll see. So that's a small, just interesting to see how cutting edge technology is affecting halacha. Thank you.